0: May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God, our Father, and from his Son, his only Son, our Savior, the Christ. We ask questions all the time, but why do we ask questions? Sometimes we want information. Sometimes we want an explanation. Sometimes we want affirmation. How far is it to Lubbock? How many credit hours do I need to finish my degree? How did St. Louis City do in their first MLS soccer game last night? They tied one-to-one. Those are questions about information. Why did you spend all that money on things you don't even need? Why did you think that putting chocolate chips and anchovies on a pizza was a good idea? Those are questions asking for explanation. Am I doing the job right? Did I choose the right color of paint for the bedroom? And up in the balcony in the 8 o'clock service when we had children playing hand chimes, did I hit the right notes at the right time? Those want affirmation. There are questions and more questions in Mark chapter 8. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive hearts and expectant, and expectant minds this day that we will ponder God's word to hear law and gospel, especially the good news, in questions and confession, command and prediction, rebuke and challenge. People God dearly loves. Jesus and his disciples are up north in Israel. They're near the villages of Caesarea Philippi. As they walk down the road, Jesus has two questions. First, he asks them, who are the people saying that I am? What are the crowds telling about me? What are you hearing from them? The disciples offer a variety of responses. Some say that you are John the baptizer, come back from the dead. Some say that you are the reappearance of the great Elijah. And some say that you are one of the other prophets of old. Jesus may be nodding silently at each of these answers. But then he asks a second question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And is it a surprise? It's not to me that it's Peter who opens his mouth first. You are the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. Jesus' questions lead to this confession. And this confession leads to a command. Verse 30 of Mark 8 says this, Jesus strictly commanded them, charged them to tell no one about him. Later on, Jesus will do the complete opposite. On Easter night, Our Lord will command them to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name at his ascension. Jesus will charge his disciples to be witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus will commission them to make disciples of all nations. He will say, go, tell, tell who I am and what I have done to win salvation. But now, up at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus says, don't tell, don't proclaim, keep your mouths shut. If you're a bit confused, the very next verse gives us the answer. It tells us why. Mark records this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus said this plainly. Nothing vague, nothing fuzzy, nothing to be misunderstood. The questions led to a confession. The confession led to a command. The command led to a prediction, and this prediction leads to a rebuke. Now, idealistically, what I hope Peter would have said would be, Using today's gradual, which is from Hebrews chapter 12, which wasn't written yet. Oh, come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the shame, endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's not what he does. But let's give Peter a little credit. He actually takes Jesus aside to talk to him privately He doesn't want to embarrass Jesus, I guess, in front of the other eleven. But now Peter, who was bold to make the confession, you are the Christ, rebukes the Lord. Don't say these things, Jesus. Don't do these things, Jesus. Don't tell us about suffering and rejection and killing. This is today's worship folder. I'd like you to take that out and look at this cover with me. Will you please? At this picture, which is really a picture of a painting. In July of 2000, Connie and I were in Germany for the first time. Our tour took us to the city of Weimar, but we had a problem that day. Our local guide didn't show up, so we waited, and don't be surprised at this. I became a little bit impatient. I didn't want to miss the best thing about Weimar. Well, when they told us we had less than 30 minutes until the bus would get there, off I went. I hustled to the church of St. Peter and St. Paul to see an altarpiece painted by Lucas Cronach the Elder and his son, Lucas Cronach the Younger. Real creative names back then. It's not a framed picture. It's a panoramic, and this is the center portion, of a winged panorama above the altar. It's over 12 feet tall, and 10 feet wide. It's stunning. It's stunning in its depth, in its detail, its depiction of Christ Christ Jesus crucified. I'm not going to explain it all. I don't have time to do that. That will happen some other in some other place. But I will say this. This painting illustrates our hopelessness under the law. We must die. We Will die. But this painting also presents Jesus as the final and complete sacrifice. All the other details take second place to Christ on the cross. John, he's the one with his arm upraised, points to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This means that Jesus takes away the sins of Lucas Cronach. He's the guy with the white beard. He put himself in the picture. And that means Jesus died for the sins of Martin Luther. That's the man on the right, down in the corner. He's holding a Bible. He's pointing to this verse. John 3, verse 14. That great passage about the bronze serpent on the pole in the wilderness. And how Jesus is the fulfillment when he is lifted up at Golgotha. Okay, set it aside. You can look at it more later. You can go online and read lots about it. All of this is why Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus had silenced his disciples. Now Peter attempts to silence Jesus. Peter doesn't want a suffering Savior. He wants a powerful Redeemer. He wants a fighting, battling warrior. Prediction leads to a rebuke. But Peter's rebuke leads to Jesus' rebuke of Peter. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus growls. Your perspective is not my perspective. Your plan is not my plan. Why this fiery response? Because Peter speaks from a human perspective, not from God's own perspective. And just as surely as Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness, as we heard last Sunday, Jesus is being tempted here, tempted to take the easy way, not the way of the cross. And this is why rebuke leads to challenge. The disciples and the crowd are setting their mind on the things of men. And so are we. We want a savior who will act who will act how we want him to act. Who gives us an easy way, who lets us hold on to our idols. But Jesus tells them and he tells us, "Deny yourself. Take up your cross. This is how you follow me. This is that cross-shaped walk as the hymn writer said." Because saving your life means you will lose it. But losing your life for my sake and for the gospel means you save it. It isn't in my title, those six words. But I'll say this. We have come back to questions. There were questions at Caesarea Philippi. There are questions today here at Crown of Life. You have them. I have them. We all have them. They're short and simple, but they are strong and serious. Here is the first one. Am I loved? And the answer is yes, you are. The second question is this, am I worthy of being loved? And the answer is no, you are not, nor am I. But here is the good news, the good news today, the good news for you, the good news for me. We are not loved because of what we are or do. We are loved in spite of what we are and what we do. This is God's word for us in Romans 5, today's epistle. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For this is the gospel undeserved love for undeserving people, rich love for those who pile up false riches but who are really in spiritual poverty, never-ending love for those who have failed at love, who have never been in love, or who are desperate to be loved and to give love. For you, for me, for all of us, for all the world, Everything that Jesus said must happen, happened. All that our Lord said he must do, he did for you. Because you are loved and now you are forgiven and you are set free. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.